0: Welcome to the DSpot Podcast. Dr Dana McNeil is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specialises in working with couples using the Gottman method. Her evidence-based practice provides support for the wide range of relationship issues that modern couples face. By using her open, affirming, and outside-of-the-box thinking, Dr. Dana is able to approach her work with couples by bringing both insights and tools that reflect the realities of today's complicated relationships dr dana features guests on her podcast that include a unique array of celebrities ceos influencers and everyday folks who are all working on navigating new conversations about how society views what goes into a successful relationship and now here's your host dr dana mcneil
1: Welcome to the D-Spot Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dana McNeil. This is the podcast about all things relationships and the people in them. Uh, Today, I'm having one of an ongoing series of introducing you to the amazing people that I get to work with at my practice, The Relationship Place. And today, you're going to meet delightful Ms. Fernaz, who we often call the kindest therapist practice. Now, don't take that wrong. That doesn't mean that you can mess around with her or that she doesn't see through your stuff. She's just lovely and kind in her directness. So welcome, sweetness. How are you?
2: Thank you. I'm good. Thanks for having me. You're very
1: welcome. I definitely want people to get to know you and to, I'm trying to create some softness and some awareness of why it's important to go to couples therapy. I think that there's too many of us that, think there's something broken with us or something's wrong or we're a failure or if, you know, well, I guess we'll should go instead of getting a divorce. Like there's other reasons to go to couples therapy, right? What's your take on why people should be going to couples
2: therapy? I mean, I feel like it could be for many different reasons. It could be, Um, just how to navigate difficult times or that adjustment period in our relationship. It's not just about how, like we need to fix something that is going wrong. It's just how to show up as a better partner and how to have a stronger foundation in our relationship. But unfortunately, a lot of people think that there should be something serious going on in the relationship in order to go and get seek professional help around it. We have a lot of couples who come here and just wanna work on like how to communicate better, how to stay each other's best friends, you know, because over time, it seems like that friendship gets impacted because of the difficult times that we go through in our relationship, so. I feel like it's for many different reasons, but it doesn't have to be something serious or broken in the relationship in order to seek help.
1: So one other dip of people to come into couples therapy is maybe some couples identify with a culture that doesn't embrace couples therapy. I mean, if Western culture is already not doing a hot job of like convincing you to go to couples therapy, other cultures are even more suspicious or cautious or weary. And so tell us a little bit about your culture. Where did you grow up? How do you identify like What is your unique brand of cultural awareness that you bring to us?
2: Yeah, so I um, was born and raised in Iran. I was living there till I was 24, so moved here 10 years ago. So basically, growing up with that Persian culture, um, they're very family oriented. You know, it's this. everything that goes on in your life and in your relationship it's basically like family can help you out with it so Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of um, education around seeking professional help around like especially when it comes to mental health you know even me myself growing up I was not well educated around mental health Mm so Um, not really knowing if there's something deeper going on is there in your relationship or in your personal life you can actually go to someone to talk to them so um, the culture that we all grew up in there's this stigma around mental health which Mm. is well there is something wrong and um, you're going and talking to a stranger about your problems well what we're here to help you, don't you get that support from your family? And don't you get that support from your friends? So it's still even to this day, I feel like a lot of people coming from this cultural background is still some stigma around mental health. So
1: would there even be like a layer of you're disrespecting a family member by not going to them and going to seek the support from a stranger? Is that like a slap in the face?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could be like it could be around with like parents. I'm going to speak to my own experience. You know, my even when I was seeking therapy um, back home, I never told my parents that I did because they would be like, well, come to us, you know, am I not your mom? Or am I not really supporting you as a mother or as a father? You know, what can we do to support you rather than you going and talking to someone else about your issues? So yes, you're somehow disrespecting family members or friends Mm -hmm. that are there to support you. So that's, that's pretty much the mentality around it.
1: Is Iran, so educating, is Iran considered more of a collectivist society where we also are more worried about the group than we are the individual? Like, is that also part of that issue that, yeah. like, why are you worried so bad about how it feels for you? How's it impacted everybody?
2: Yes, yes, it is pretty much like that. And um, it's, unfortunately, it's just like, well, we're as a group, it's just just show up as a happy, okay person, you know, and it's okay if you have your individual problems, well, it's usually putting that like aside and pretend as if nothing is really going on, so.
1: Okay. So I'm not imagining then that that encourages me as an individual to ask for my needs or do, is that even like, what do you mean your needs? We're all happy. We have enough food to eat. We're alive. What more do you want? If it's not for the greater good, then you shouldn't be pursuing that.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Is couples therapy then, if we're not really focused on the individual needs, is couples therapy really even a thing in Iran?
2: Surprisingly, it is. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, all right. Uh, you know, uh, it's not basically like couples therapy. So, yeah, it it's like counseling for marriage and premarital counseling, surprisingly, is a little common. So yeah, because again, going back to like that family unit and going back to like, okay, we're, we're talking about this because we want to know as a couple or as a family, how can we, Be better, or um. However, it's not that like openly spoken about because if you say that we're going to couples therapy, people would assume that there is something serious going on in your relationship. Oh, maybe someone is having an affair, or maybe oh my god, what's going on, or maybe they're getting divorced. So it's just it's still not openly spoken about. But I remember even growing up, hearing like marriage counseling was a thing not really individual therapy. Ah, um, interesting. interesting,
1: okay, yeah. Well, that mm-hmm. makes sense. I mean, if I'm from a society that, you know, values the many needs versus the individual needs and I'm combining two families and there's gonna be conflict about the family values or maybe our religions don't match or we don't view the world the same way, or there's, you know, one of you doesn't make as much money. And so we're like, how are we gonna help all of you? Like that would give you more permission to go to relationship therapy because you need to service all of the members of all of the relationships that are going to be impacted. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that you can backdoor it that way a little bit. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. how did not growing up with it around you is something that was valued or encouraged or something that was part of like your lived experience? How did you end up becoming a
2: therapist? That's a great question because I never, I always had this um, drive to help others, other people, you know, I always wanted to be in a field to help others or at least be some sort of a support or some sort of like a advocate for my community at least so when i first moved here i never even thought about like becoming a therapist because i i did not have a lot of knowledge around like mm-hmm. therapy and like what do therapists even do so I first, surprisingly, was in the computer computer science field. And I Did not know that about you. Okay, okay. Yeah, because, well, I mean, in Iran growing up, you either have to be an engineer, either a lawyer or a doctor. So I was trying to go the engineer route just to make my family proud of me. However, that only lasted for a year. And I realized that this is not really for me. I don't want to be sitting in like a, office space and all by myself isolated working at a computer so it wasn't really what my passion was all about so I started doing a lot of research around like things that I could do I thought about like becoming a teacher thought about like becoming a school psychologist because I was like well I can then help kids. So I went into the psychology psychology route and got my master's degree in psychology but then I was like, okay, well, I guess I have to get my master's degree in order to be able to provide that service that I'm actually passionate about. So yeah, I mean ended up doing a lot of research around like what can I do? To become a counselor I was thinking of becoming a school counselor but then I looked into this marriage and family therapy program and I fell in love with it and it's still you know and then when I chose that field and I started going to ma- my master's program even like explaining what it was to pretty much like my family was still like okay then what are you going to do uh-huh. <laughs> so what is it that what, so even like sometimes with my mom it was interesting she would be like okay then you have to sit and listen to other people's problems well do you prescribe medications? what are you then going to do do you give them solutions what do you do so uh, it was still very unclear for them like exactly what my role was going to be as a therapist but it's great that I can actually now uh, tell uh, other people in my community or like my family members like what is it exactly that we do as therapist, I was actually looking for the translation of like therapy in Farsi because hmm. I was like do we even have that word in Farsi what's the and closest seems- word
1: and what's the closest word in Farsi
2: do I say it in Farsi yeah I want to hear <laughs> well, I never you hear say- you to talk Farsi because <laughs> I never understand it what is, what is the word well it's called on dar Gash and yeah it's very um Beautiful. Yeah, so Ravon is mental, and Darmangar is someone um, who is pretty much curing like, or helping you cure some mental health issues, so it's a little different than Ravon Shenas, which is psychologist. A lot of people are very familiar with Ravon Shenas as, as a, a psychologist, but Ravon Dharmangar is actually something very new. So you're like cutting
1: edge. You are like on the hip side of everything as per usual. Okay. So (laughs) I know that you are very passionate about making sure that resources are available for your community. If it's still new, right? And there's still some skepticism about it. What is the skepticism like stem from because if you're now like living in western culture right i'm assuming that you know clients that are here now have lived here for a bit of time or will live here for a bit of time and are they is there a sense that this isn't something that you they want to integrate because of a fear that is staying with them from where they used to live like tell me more about that what are the stigmas for you
2: i believe this is um i feel like it's my own experience. I believe that there's a lot of fear of judgment and also lack of trust in our community because it's very hard for us to trust that the, what we're sharing, which is going to be the deepest, darkest secrets of our life, is going to stay confidential, it's going to stay, be kept private. So what I'm noticing here in living in San Diego with the Persian community here, it's still that lack of trust that my word is going to be spread out amongst the people in my community, you know, or I'm going to be judged or I'm going to be looked a different way because, well, if I go and talk to this Persian therapist, you know, so it's still something that we, I mean, this lack of trust is very like, unfortunately it's, it's a lot and um, very common in our culture because it kind of goes back to like us being able to set boundaries also around some of our personal stuff too it's like how to respect each other's boundaries and not really invade each other's privacy so that it's still I feel like even in counseling and therapy that's something that I'm noticing even in like western culture but among the Persian community we're still not really open to talk to a Persian person (laughs) or Iranian person about our problems because we're afraid that it's going to be spread out.
1: That's a tall order for you to try to help them maneuver. How would someone who identifies as being Persian and experience this lack of trust, which is valid, right? Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. would they speak to the therapist or what kind of questions would they ask or how would they help Relay this very valid fear?
2: Um, as a therapist, I feel like there should be a lot of like psychoeducation and just around confidentiality because I feel like this is something that a lot of us struggle with. Like, if everything that is shared in therapy sessions or us as therapists, we're, I mean, legally, ethically, we have to keep everything confidential. So, and I feel like a lot of people don't have that, if they're not that. It, they don't have that knowledge that, okay, this is actually not going to be outside of this office. It's not going to be spoken. So, providing that safe space and, give, and providing that psychoeducation around what therapy is going to look like, I feel like that falls on uh, the therapist and how to make them feel safe, make them feel like this is going to be a confidential space for them to open up and freely express what's going on. But um, yeah, I feel like that's, so that's asking more
1: questions, right? Asking the client, do you want me to repeat it? Is there parts more that you want to see? Do you want me to talk about more? Do you want to expand versus it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever we talk about is confidential for mm-hmm. a version client. This needs to be a longer, more drawn out conversation where we're addressing specific concerns and maybe having like follow-ups every session just to reaffirm and reassure.
2: Exactly. Yes. That reassurance needs to be there because it's still very scary mm-hmm. to open up to someone you don't know who's part of, the, of that, that small community in, in this Western society that you're sharing everything about your life and this reassurance that this is going to be kept mm-hmm. private and confidential is very important. Mm-hmm.
1: I imagine specifically if there's something going on just like with every relationship if there's domestic violence happening that's even more fearful all of our clients regardless of what you know community you identify with there's also this fear that i'm definitely not going to open up about something that could get me in trouble or seems like a legal issue so can you talk a little bit about what our requirements are as therapists when we find out about legal things for our clients
2: yeah absolutely well i mean there are some I mean, we're mandated reporters around um, certain things, you know, child abuse, elder abuse, dependent adult abuse, or if they have thoughts to harm themselves, where we have to break their confidentiality just to help them seek our level of care. But around domestic violence, we're not, um, we can't break their confidentiality. It's not actually reportable. So that like understanding that, um, there are some laws around it that can actually protect them. Uh, it could actually be something that gives them that peace of mind that I can come to therapy and talk about this thing that this very scary thing that is happening in our relationship, and we're not going to get in trouble legally, especially for. Immigrants who are living here that they're worried about the legal aspects of their immigration, too. You know, it's just very scary for them to even talk about that, like physical violence or something that is happening in their relationship. So, just understanding the laws, understanding what, as therapists, we're mandated to report and what we're not mandated to report. It's just like, I feel like with every client, we have this conversation around like, Okay, these are the requirements. This is this is what confidentiality looks like, and um, these are the parts that are going to be kept confidential. So, but specifically, I'm talking about my own community, Persian community. I feel like we have to dedicate even more time talking about it and um, educating our clients around that.
1: I think you brought up a good point that maybe some of us are not even thinking about is that. Then I also have this layer in my seven layer dip of if I have some immigration things going on and I tell this therapist, I don't know how this stuff works, right? Okay, maybe she's not gonna report at me to the police, but is she gonna report things to immigration? Is she going to like screw up something where I have, you know, a partner that I'm trying to bring over from Iran who I'm here now and we're through the process of doing a K1 visa or like all the things, there's so much level of concern about what's going to get back to who. That makes perfect sense.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So do you want to talk about the process of uh, trying to get a partner. I'm, I'm leading you into this in case it's something you want to talk about, because I think this is a valuable space that you can hold for clients that find themselves in a space where they're kind of on hold with their life, waiting for somebody that they love to come here. Do you want to chat about what that's
2: like? Absolutely. Well, my own experience, I've been waiting for my husband to get here for almost more than three years. Three and a half years um yeah i mean my husband lives in iran and um we have been i applied for a spouse visa for him i'm a u.s citizen so this assumption that as a u.s citizen you can easily bring your uh, significant other here um to the u.s it's not actually like a fiance visa it's actually a spouse visa we wanted to get officially married so that we can actually this process would be easier for us So I applied for him three years ago in June 2019 and thought everything was going to go pretty quickly. But unfortunately, with COVID, with the travel ban, with the embassy shutting down, um, it's still been something that we're waiting. And uh, it's been three and a half years, three and three months, three years and three months um, of waiting for him to get here. Pretty much our lives are on hold, Both, both of us, if not just. Thing about myself, it's also with him too. He's he's in Iran. He has his own like business, but everything is pretty much on hold, you know, with his business partner. They're just like, they don't know what to do. I'm here. I'm still working I'm, and I still have it seems like I still have my life put together, but you know, everything that that loss of that marriage in like we're not experiencing that married life together under the same roof in the same city. So uh, we're in a long-distance relationship, marriage, which is absolutely difficult, and um, with the time difference—twelve-hour time difference—you know, managing our work schedules, our personal lives, and talking and video calls—and it's really difficult. And I understand a lot of people, in my—I mean, my community here—I know that, that some some people are going through the similar process and yeah we we
1: talked about that this week in our our group meeting this idea of ambiguous loss right it's this Mm -hmm. frozen grief that's just put on hold and you don't know when it's going to end and you have a part of you that's missing and it's so you know, specific to a small portion of people that we're not talking about it, right? We're not talking about what are the coping skills of it. We're not acknowledging it. There's not group support for it. And it just creates even more of this isolated feeling. And so having a therapist like you that understands the experience, combined with understanding the cultural aspect of it is so incredibly important. You couldn't feel emotionally safe with someone that doesn't have a lived experience of that. I mean, you can, but there's also going to sometimes be this worry that they don't understand or... Additionally, is it going to be reported somewhere? And so having somebody that understands the experience, has walked in the shoes, can speak the language, can understand you know, the cultural stigmas and walk you through that is why you are such a valuable asset to not only the practice, but the clients that find their way to you. Because I know that you've already worked with clients that have had some similar situations and just having you validate for them what it's really like and speak to them mm-hmm. in words that are meaningful and impactful has been such a lovely gift, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you are part of our practice and part of the community
2: that you represent. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really grateful to be part of it, and I'm actually grateful to be able to help um, people who are going through similar situations. It might be a little different, but I mean, that ambiguous loss that you mentioned, it's I have felt it. I am still feeling it in my own life, and as as a therapist, it's good to be able to just be there for my clients and just provide that space and um, acknowledge what they're going through. I guess. Do you
1: have any tips that you want to give them as the master of learning how to cope with ambiguous loss and missing a partner and being long distance and not knowing when uncertainty is ever going to come to an end? What tips do you have to help help navigate that time?
2: That's a hard question because I'm constantly looking for (laughs) different (laughs) tips and (laughs) ways to cope with it. Um, Everything is pretty much most of the coping skills that I've utilized in the past three years have been short-term, but- uh, <laughs> Well, only gets you know, through the season, right? You don't know it if gets season... you through the season, exactly. Yeah, and that's what you need, you know, in, in order to just get through the season until this, um, I don't know, this waiting period is over. But I guess just looking at the bigger picture, um, that, that has been really helpful for me, just like knowing that I'm- waiting and dedicating my this period of my life to just have have my husband here but just like thinking about our future thinking about our goals as a couple you know that has helped me at least to be able to get through the day to be able to get through those moments of like why even like this is happening to me because this is this is a thought that we all go through. Like, why me? Why this long? Like, what have I done in my life that I deserve to be waiting this long, you know? So um, I feel like just not getting so fixated on like the whys or what ifs, uh, uh, just maybe just looking at that like okay well what what would our lo- life look like maybe two years from now five years from now you know uh, what is our goal Um, as soon as it gets here what are we going to do you know just like thinking about those things is actually it's really helpful however but I feel like talking about it with different people has been really helpful to me too although not a lot of people have gone through this sim- the similar process that I'm going through and it seems like people don't understand what I'm going through. Yes, you probably not a lot of people understand what you're going through, but just like being able to open up and talk about it, I think that has been absolutely helping me getting through these times. Yeah.
1: So give me your definition Then, having had this experience, one of my questions I like to ask everyone is based on your experience of relationships, what does commitment mean to you?
2: um commitment to me is just you know feeling safe with one another sticking through the the vows and like the promises that you've made and um you know even going through difficult times you know it's easy to be committed when we're going through just happy times in our life but um your commitment is actually tested when you go through those difficult times so I feel like being um that commitment to me is just like regardless of the situation that what you're going through what what your partner is going through you can still be there and protect them and Mm. support them regardless of what the situation around you is and uh, making each other feel safe and so that support I feel like to me that's commitment
1: I like the protection and support that feels that feels like a team. Even exactly. when we're separated by distance and time, we can still give each other protection and support. And that's how we know that we're on the same team.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah. All right. So, if anybody's listening to this who is in the Persian culture, give them a message. You can even say it in Farsi if it's better. Cause I know sometimes you tell me I have to like think it in Farsi and then interpret it in <laughs> English. So, go. Oh, what's the message? What do you want to do to get them in the door?
2: <laughs> Just trust the process. Trust that you know, nobody's going to touch you. Uh, your information, your privacy is going to keep, be kept private and confidential. And if you need to seek help, professional help, I think it's better to get it from someone who understands the background and the culture that you're coming from and who can relate to the struggles and the things that you're going through. I think just being able to trust that is the base, the, the most important step that you can take.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree. So thank you. I am, again, always feel like we're so lucky to have you um, around the practice. You're just such a bright light and you always Mm -hmm. have a smile on your face. Nobody would ever know that you're struggling with anything, which is very professional of you. (laughs) you You're a real person. Therapists are real people. And so getting the opportunity to show clients that, yeah, we can relate to what you're going through and not having a friend or family member means that you don't have to have somebody that's filtering their expectations or hopes about how you'll conduct yourself that it's a safe place and we can talk about what's important to you
2: right exactly yeah all right Lev, thank, thank you. you so much
1: for your time i appreciate you
2: appreciate you for having me thank you so well, much talk to you later bye talk to you bye
0: this has been the D Spot podcast with dr dana mcneil to learn more about dr dana's practice simply visit us at www.danamcneil.com.